0: You can find this podcast and others at Gun Rights Radio Network, gunrightsradio.com, podcasting freedom. Welcome to episode 44 of Shooting the Breeze, the formal gun podcast of waltnpa.com. I am Walt White, and it is the day after Father's Day. Father's Day weekend is past, and I don't know about you, but I had a fantastic weekend. Uh, it was filled with gifts, range time, and just time spent with family. It was just a fantastic weekend. I enjoyed it immensely. And it all started off on Friday. I decided that I was going to get together with a couple of the guys from Team Custom Gun Finishes and do a little mini USPSA match at our local at our local range uh, prior to heading to our regular USPSA match the following day on Saturday. So Friday after work, I, I, I guess we hit the range a little after noon, uh, it was like 12.15, 12, 12.30, 12, something like that, we broke the first shot. Uh, worked on a handful of things, mostly reloading practice, I, I'm one of those people that loves to, to work in reloads at the range. Uh, it's it's it is probably the most I don't know degrading skill in my toolbox. Uh, if I don't practice reloads constantly, I tend to botch them really bad. Sometimes I'll completely miss the gun with the spare magazine. Uh, sometimes I'll bumble them. But you know whatever the case is, if I'm not constantly practicing my reloads, they generally suck. But when I practice them, they're usually pretty smooth and on the money. And uh, it was kind of funny watching match video. Even when I'm bumbling magazines, or even when I feel as though the magazine isn't, or the, the reload isn't going as smoothly as it could be, watching back the video, it still looks pretty fast. So, you know, for my skill set, I'm, I'm really happy with the way I'm progressing. But, you know, I kind of, I'm digressing here. So we got to the range, we did some shooting, uh, a, a variety of drills. I said we, we did a, a mini USPSA match. I selected five different uh, stages to set up. The only criteria I had was that it, the stage must use three or less target stands, and that meant uh, classifiers galore. It was, it was really easy to select uh, three classifiers, and then I made up two stages of my own. Uh, worked in a lot of reload practice. Uh, El Presidente, which I hate, but I shoot it anyway because it's It's used a lot in the area. And uh, one particular drill that we did horrible on, all of us equally bad, was uh, Merle Standards, which is a USPSA classifier stage, which calls for uh, drawing a gun and shooting a target 105 feet away, six rounds, reload, strong hand only, to a target I think 45 feet away. And then uh, second string is draw, fire, another six rounds at 105 feet, Reload weekend only at a target at about 35 feet, 30, 35 feet, something like that, and we all totally bombed the stage. It was uh, it was kind of amusing looking back at the score information because all of us, all of our hit factors started with zero point something. It was pretty bad, but uh, it was uh, it was even though we did pretty bad in that in that one particular stage, it was a great time overall. Uh, Came home, hung out with the family, then uh, got up bright and early on Saturday morning to head down to the range, help set up uh, the usual Southern Chester match in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. Uh, Shot that match. Felt pretty good about my overall performance. What really surprised me was being handed a check at the beginning of the match. Apparently, there's a cash payout for for, uh, division winners. So since I won production division last month... I got a check for 30 bucks, so that was that was awesome. So now I'm kind of pumped up. Not, not only do I want to win again, which is going to be really difficult with everyone back in town, but uh, there's also a payout for, for uh, top in the division, uh, you know, top D-class shooter, top C-class shooter, top B, top A. The only stipulation is that there must be five or more competitors in that particular class, um, which I'm not quite sure how it all plays out but I know I've won top C before and I don't ever recall getting a payout so maybe it's just this one club and uh, you know it makes shooting there much more appealing so I had a great time on Saturday. The weather was perfect. Um, If anything it was a bit warm but aside from that, you know, coach yourself in sunblock, hit the range, and I just had a great time. Uh, Sunday, I spent the, the day with family. We wound up going to uh, Father's Day Breakfast at this place that's really close to my house, but I've never been to. And it was awesome. You know, food was, was fantastic. Portion sizes were enormous, and we wound up bringing more food home than we ate. And just all in all, it was a good time. I uh, spent some time later on with my fa- with my father. We went uh, had breakfast with my in laws, my father in law, and then uh, hung out with my daughter a while. And then we went to see my father. Then I came home, did some more gun related stuff, mostly typing up show notes and stuff for the podcast. But all in all, it was a it was a really enjoyable weekend uh, with lots of trigger time mixed in. In addition to quality time at the range, I also got some gifts this weekend, which was uh, a really big surprise. That not not so much getting gifts, but the the gifts that I got were great. Uh, a couple of weeks back, or maybe I don't know, week maybe two weeks ago, there was a Cabela's flyer that showed up at my house. Uh, we don't get the usual paper that that the that the flyer the the uh, the insert is stuffed into, so I'm not quite sure how it showed up. I don't know whether it came in the mail with you know other junk mail kind of a stuff, but. Uh, I started paging through it, and I pointed out a pair of shoes to my wife. I said, you know, I, I'd really like to get a pair of these hiking shoes. They, uh, you know, the this typical sports-type shoes that I wear for USPSA shooting doesn't have a really aggressive tread pattern. And actually, I only like wearing older shoes because I'm running around in dirt and grass and mud, and I usually beat them up pretty bad. So I don't mind if I'm wearing older sneakers, older sports shoes kind of a thing. And what I'm currently using for matches is fine on, on gravel. It's, it's okay on grass, but it's pretty nasty when there's a little bit of moisture in the ground and you've got some kind of, maybe some loose sand or, or some loose dirt. It can get kind of slick. So I pointed out these hiking shoes to my wife and I said, you know, I'd really like to get something like this just for shooting with a nice aggressive tread on it. And I said, you know, look, they're on sale be kind of cool to get them just kind of dropping a little hint well as it turns out the first time ever she she picked up on my hint and she decided to run up to Cabela's and pick them up for me Uh, while she was there she also picked up two shooting shirts for me one was an NRA shirt that uh, had a a picture of an NRA bullseye target on the back and uh, had a tight group the caption on the photo was, uh, you know, this is my interpretation of group therapy, or something along those lines. It was a cool design. I like the color of the shirt. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to wearing it. I'm sure that it's going to, to raise some eyebrows and, and and prompt a few questions, but I really don't mind. I, I enjoy shooting, and, you know, I, I like kind of passing that along to anyone that may be interested. Uh, the other shirt that she got me was kind of funny. She she was looking through these different gun manufacturer shirts and she knows that I have Smith & Wesson product. She was looking at the Smith & Wesson shirt but decided she didn't like it so she didn't buy it. Instead she bought the shirt that she liked which was uh, Browning. It had you know the the Browning buck on the back of it. Really nice shirt. I like the color. I like, I like the design. Just uh, all in all good solid looking shirt. I like it. But you know I'm opening up the box and I'm like honey I, it's kinda weird but I don't own a Browning. So, well, What does that matter? Well, I don't know. It, it feels wrong to wear a manufacturer's shirt if I don't own w- at least one product from Browning. So, uh, she made the mistake later on when, we were on when we were at breakfast of saying something along the lines of, well, why don't you just go out and buy one? So, I'm, I'm going to hold her to it. I'm not going to run out and buy one tomorrow, but at some point I see a Browning buckmark in my future. There is one last Father's Day-related item that I have in the pre-news discussion portion of the podcast. However, it doesn't relate to my particular weekend. It was actually, I don't know, earlier in the week. I came across something from GearHog.com. If you're familiar with Woot... GearHog is very similar but instead of doing like electronics and wine and t-shirts daily deals instead it's gear uh, you know you you may find like shooting related hats or holsters or or I don't know, give certificates to uh, to various vendors and in my case there was a father's day special going on and gearhog was offering a $20 or i'm sorry a $40 brownells gift certificate for $20 you know it was limited one purchase one purchase per customer or one 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 uh one gift certificate per billing address so you know it wasn't like you could just kind of stack up on these things easily so i thought you know it's it's worth taking a chance i've never ordered through gearhog before but it's it's really difficult to pass up uh A forty-dollar gift certificate for half price. So I put my order in. I ordered a Brownell's gift certificate. I got an email confirmation immediately after I made the purchase, and then I started peering over Brownell's website. You know what could I spend forty dollars on? And I settled on another double magazine pouch which is made by uh, Blade Tech. It's got this tech lock thing. I have two of them already. I needed a third. I didn't really need a third but I needed a fifth magazine carrier and I decided to just go with this another double. And uh, that was 25 bucks. And then I got a Glock specific magazine brush. Uh, what makes it Glock specific is it's I don't know, it's shaped for a double stack magazine but on the back of the brush, on the back of the handle there's a small punch sticking out which is is used to disassemble the magazines uh there you can buy it one of two ways you can either buy the brush by itself which i did for like 14 bucks or for 20 some dollars you can buy the kit which comes with the brush and this sleeve that slips over top of the magazine i guess it compresses the magazine in the proper place so that once you slip this ring over top or this I don't know, this plate over top of the magazine, and then depress the pin, the magazine comes right apart. Um, it was just easy enough for me to buy the brush, and I needed that little bit of filler because I had $40 to spend, and I only allotted 25 So for a grand total of about $26, I got $46 worth of product. So all in all, that little purchase, which kind of goes into my Father's Day kitty as well, plus the weekend that I had with family. I, I cannot complain one bit. It was just a fantastic weekend. Before we get into the news, it wouldn't be a podcast unless I was reminding you about the, the current contest on my blog, waltnpa.com. If you're interested in winning a signed copy of Shoot, Your Guide to Shooting and Competition by Julie Golub, head over to waltnpa.com, look at the very top post on the blog, which says something along the lines of win a copy of shoot uh june edition click on that read through the details it's very simple all you have to do is post a comment telling me what type of ammunition shoot ammunition you shoot most frequently and you are entered Uh, at the end of the month i will randomly select one individual to win that that signed book and uh, i'll ship it out to you and next month we'll roll right into another contest. Uh, As I've said in the past, I'm running one contest a month for 12 months total, courtesy of stogiereview.com, which provided me with 12 copies of Shoot Your Guide to Shooting Competition, again by Julie Golub. And um, I'm not quite sure when the contest ends, but this will be the third month, so I don't know, 12 minus 3 is whatever that... Wherever that puts us in into the year, it should be early next year, early 2013 when we wrap it up. But whatever that, whatever, <laughs> just head over to waltnpa click on the contest details for information, and get yourself entered. In the news this week, I have three, art, three different articles. They kind of bounce around a little bit. Uh, as of a couple of hours ago, there were four, but I decided to cut one. Uh, one particular article was article. Seemed kind of interesting at first, and and I initially put it in the show notes to discuss, but I read it two or three times after I stuck it in the show notes to to sort of wrap my head around what was going on, and I just decided it was too aggravating, and I didn't want to get into it. It it was just a raging anti-gun article about uh, uh, gun owners... uh, Gun owners disregarding facts or something like that and and avoiding microstamping or fighting tooth and nail against this proven micro stamping technology and then there was a couple of other things mixed into the article and uh, all in all it was just this raging anti-gun mess and I decided to just pass on it completely so we cut that out and we've got three different news articles we have uh, two self-defense style articles and one article on Chicago so first things first the first article comes out of the Star Telegram and it is entitled Hamilton's Wow Halton City Homeowner Kills Intruder Police Say. This was published on Tuesday june twelfth and it goes on to say a Fort Worth man who authorities say forced his way into a Halton City home and assaulted a couple was fatally shot by the homeowner, Halton City Police said Tuesday. The Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office identified the man as Jerome Mitchell, 23, who was pronounced dead Sunday evening at the home. Right now it looks like it was a home invasion, Police Corporal uh, Joe Hackfield said Tuesday. It was a robbery attempt. The 28-year-old homeowner and his 23-year-old girlfriend suffered minor injuries. No one has been arrested in the case, which will be presented uh, to a Tarrant County grand jury. Police responded to a call at 6.15 p.m. Sunday in the 5300 block of Melroy Drive. The homeowner and his girlfriend told authorities that they were in the house when a man broke down the door, walked inside, picked up an object, and began assaulting them. The homeowner got got a handgun and fired multiple times, police said. When officers arrived, Mitchell had died from multiple gunshot wounds. Authorities did not say whether Mitchell had known the couple. Mitchell had a criminal history in Tarrant County and Travis County, according to court records. He was arrested in two thousand six in connection with robberies in Fort Worth and Watuga, and was later arrested in Travis County that same year and served time in prison. He was charged with fleeing from Fort Worth police in February and was sentenced to sixty days in jail, record to show. So this uh this particular order lacks a lot of information, but it kinda makes you wonder, you know, who this kind of whack job is that will kick in a door or just break in your home at 615 PM. I mean it is June. 615. This sun is shining, birds are chirping, it is bright outside. You know it's not like someone's doing this in the dead of night. So I'm curious, you know, was this guy on something? Uh was there a side of the story that we're not aware of but it kind of makes you wonder, you know, if if something like this were to happen in, in your home, are you prepared for that that type of situation? Um, <clears throat> there would be a lot of noise before that would happen uh, in my home. I'm an advocate of locking the storm door. I do it constantly. My wife hates it, but I do it all the time. Anytime I come through the door, I lock the storm door. Um, it, it's, it's a matter of inconvenience to someone that, you know, they can't open the the storm door and knock on the, you know, the wooden exterior door. Instead, they have to kind of knock on the glass or knock on the, the, you know, the the sheet metal pane at the bottom of my door, but it's that little added sense of security, I think. Uh, It doesn't take much. I've locked myself out on more than one occasion, and a good yank on the door will uh, will pop that little spring-loaded pin that actually holds the door shut. So it's, it's not like you can't bypass it, but you do make a lot of racket getting that storm door open before it finally forces it open and pops. So, you know, there's that, there's that deterrent. Uh, by that time, my dog is probably going bonkers, uh, barking and growling and everything else at the commotion behind the door. And then, you know, I've got this big exterior door that I always keep locked. Uh, I never... I'm just... I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm a paranoid freak, but I always lock the door. I don't just turn the little the, the bottom lock. Uh, I actually lock the deadbolt as well. Um, again, my wife hates it, but constantly do it all the time. I lock the storm door. I lock the. I lock both locks on the exterior door. You know, if it's a nice day, we've got the the storm door or the, not the storm door, the uh, the exterior door open. I still lock the storm door. So, I don't know, maybe something like that in this similar situation may have, uh, I don't know, maybe things would have changed, but you never know. Maybe the guy booted the door down and just kind of broke apart the jam. But in any case, it makes you wonder, if it were to happen to me, are there any safeguards in place? For me, I've got a couple of locked doors that are standing in the way of this intruder, and I've got firearms not far away. Um, If I'm dressed, generally I have a gun on me. If I'm wearing like real pants, like right now I'm wearing sports shorts, so there's no pockets for me to have a gun in, or no belt for me to be uh, to to attach a gun to. However, I have a gun in the room, so there, there's always something relatively close. Uh, you know, it's behind a lock, behind a lock, so there's a little bit of a time barrier there. But you know, there's there's always something, and it's I think it's beneficial and certainly needed. I think it could have uh, it could have prevented two individuals from being assaulted with an an object from this intruder. But that's just my opinion. The second piece of news comes from CBS 7 On Your Side. And this was published on June 18th and it is entitled Deputies, Woman Shoots Ex-Husband in Self-Defense. Lawrence County, South Carolina. Lawrence County County deputies say a woman who admitted to shooting her ex-husband will not be charged in the shooting because they believe she acted in self-defense. According to the incident report, deputies were called out to a home on Vern Vern Cora Road in Lawrence Monday morning. Tammy Duvall told deputies that she had a friend over at her house and was about to go outside when she heard a car door shut. Duvall told deputies she grabbed a gun and shot several times when she noticed her ex-husband, Roderick Woodruff, charging towards her. Deputies later found Woodruff injured at his home and took him into the hospital. Roderick Woodruff will be charged with criminal domestic violence first offense. Woodruff was charged in April with CDV first offense and kidnapping with the same woman. Woodruff has been convicted in in the April case, which is why the new charges are first offense as well. Deputies say, after charging, changing her story several times on where she got the gun, Duval will be charged with unlawful possession of a weapon. So here's another prime example of why pieces of paper do absolutely nothing to protect anyone. Uh, you know, protections from abuse or restraining orders. I don't know whether she actually got one. However, I would imagine with things going down the way they did that she probably had those pieces of paper and they were about as good as pieces of paper get absolutely nothing in protecting her and i don't know they don't go into detail about the kidnapping but in my mind i envision this woman getting pushed into a trunk of a car and 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 speeding off and the husband speeding off with her beating on the trunk of the car kind of a thing whether or not that's how it went down that's kind of what 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 is conjured up in my mind when I read over this thing. Uh, I don't blame her one bit if that, if that's what happened. You know, and she was kidnapped, and and he was actually charged for this stuff, and he came charging after her. I wouldn't blame her one bit for blasting the guy. Uh, you know, it's his own stupid fault. But to charge her with weapons. With what unlawful weapons possession is kind of interesting, uh, she changed her story multiple times on how she came into possession of the gun. But you have to wonder though, after being kidnapped and and uh, ab- abused I don't know what CDV stands for, uh, probably something domestic violence. So if she was being beat on and kidnapped. Does it really matter where she got the gun? I mean, this is kind of one, this is one of those, those situations where maybe the district attorney should kind of look the other way. <coughs> Excuse me. Because you really can't blame her for shooting the guy that already kidnapped her and beat her, and all of a sudden he's running after her from his vehicle, charging after her as she comes out of her home. So, I, I don't know. A lot of details are missing from this, but I thought it was kind of interesting anyway. I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Especially since she's being charged with the unlawful weapons possession after defending herself with a firearm which she may or may not have received legally or may or may not have acquired legally or within legal bounds of South Carolina. The last piece of news that I have for you is something that should make you want to get up and clap after you hear it. Uh, you know, we, it is so often we hear anti-gun groups saying, well, you know, this is common-sense gun law. You know, it's common-sense this, common-sense that. And, you know, when you kind of flip the tables and look at some of the things that they do, you've got to wonder, like, where is that common-sense that they talk about all the time? Because uh, it certainly doesn't show in certain situations. In this case, I think that the author of this article, the the article, the author of this news piece kind of hit the nail on the head. And this comes from Reason.com, and it is entitled The Futility of Chicago's Gun Turn-Ins. If you've got some clothes you don't need anymore, you can give them to Goodwill or the Salvation Army. If you have an older car, you can call various organizations to take it away. And if you're in Chicago and have a gun that's burning a hole in your pocket, you can get rid of it on Saturday, no questions asked. The city government has a great fondness for gun turn-in events. It's done six of them in the past six years, collecting more than 23,000 weapons. This, this one will be held at 23 churches, and anyone handing over a firearm will get a $100 gift card. The guns will then be destroyed. The motive behind these efforts is not hard to understand in a place that, that has had 433 murders last year and has seen a spike this year. Dozens of shooting takes place in, a, in Chicago every week. Two years ago, explaining the effort, then-Mayor Richard Daly said, We have just too many guns in our society. When someone has access to a gun, they use it. The gun buyback is a way we can reduce the number of guns on our streets, says Mayor Ram Emanuel. But don't put too much stock in these pronouncements. The number of privately owned guns in America keeps rising. and the last count, it totaled 270 million, or about one for every adult but nationally the homicide rate has fallen by more than half over the past two decades. Contrary to Daly, most people who own guns never use them for anything but legal purposes hunting, target shooting, self-defense. Contrary to Emmanuel, the weapons this sort of venture yields are probably not the ones carried in the streets or the ones used in crimes. The reduction also represents a minuscule share of firearms in the city, which many, which may number over a million. Think about it. Who is most likely to turn in a firearm for a $100 reward? Someone with one, a cheap, and two, no criminal or propensity, say Aunt Millie disposing of a rusty revolver her late husband left her in the nightstand. Hmm. Florida State University criminologist Gary Kleck noted in a 1996 book, that when St. Louis did a gun buyback, those participating, quote, were commonly middle-aged and eighty percent white, while those involved in gun violence in that city were mostly young and black, end quote. Criminals will have trouble finding any appeal in this offer. In the first, players, in the first place, their weapons may have cost far more than a hundred dollars, as handguns and long guns of good quality usually do. In the second place, thugs practice a trade in which a weapon is essential for doing business. A pistol used in the course of armed robberies will armed robberies will pay for itself many times over. A hundred gift, $100 gift card won't. The experience elsewhere offers little hope that the program will make a noticeable difference. After a successful 1974 buyback in Baltimore, the firearm homicide rate jumped by 50%. A study of a Seattle effort found it failed to reduce significance significantly and frequency of firearms injured deaths or crimes this is the pattern whenever turn-ins take place a 2004 study by the national academy of sciences concluded that the theory under the theory underlying gun buybacks is badly flawed and the empirical evidence demonstrates the ineffectiveness of the programs the people who participate are generally those who are least dangerous those who are most dangerous have no motive to motive to participate. So when the buyback is done, the number of armed criminals will most likely be unchanged. Advocates may think that getting rid of weapons will at least prevent accidents and suicides, but some people who hand over a gun will hang on to others, which they are just as likely to handle carelessly or leave where a child can find. As for suicide, the odd thing about people intent on killing killing themselves is that a firearm is not available, if a firearm is not available, they can find plenty of other methods that will serve their purpose. The National Academy study said that gun control policies may reduce the number of gun suicides, but they have not yet been shown to reduce the overall risk of suicide in any population this year's turn in will no doubt garner a decent haul of weapons, but for anyone anticipating a drop in gun violence, it will most likely it will most likely yield disappointment so just a good solid article all in all, it hits on a lot of points that I've I've kind of made in the past. Whenever this subject comes up, you know, the first thing that crosses my mind is, you know, what criminal is actually going to turn the gun in? And, okay, maybe you've got a criminal that decides, okay, I've got to get rid of this gun that I used in this particular robbery such and such weeks ago where the store clerk was shot and, and killed. In a no questions asked situation, isn't that gun just rendered completely obsolete? They're going to destroy it. It's not. It's never going to find its way into evidence. And the people that would, the people that would uh, charge and aggressively go after this criminal have just destroyed the destroyed the evidence for him. And aside from that, anytime you hear gun buyback, usually there's a on a forum. If you hear gun buy guy, gun buybacks are coming up, it's usually the guys that are most excited are the guys that have junky beat-up guns that don't work and they just want to get rid of them. They're not worth anything, except for in this buyback where they can, you know, sometimes double and triple their money. So, you know, I I think this is just a feel-good measure. I don't know that it's it's actually doing anything for anyone, but, you know, I, I think this guy did a really good job of outlining some of the thoughts that I've had. So, Steve Chapman, thank you very much for your article. In featured content this week, I have three different uh, write-ups to talk about. Actually, two write-ups, one video, or actually all of them kind of contain video. But in any case, unlike the news, I don't read this stuff word for word if you're new to the podcast. Uh, featured content is just that. It's stuff that I came across on the web that I thought was either cool or informative or funny or, or just worth sharing and I talk about it a little bit. Uh, The objective here is to just kind of give you a little bit of a summary, talk about some of the things that I found appealing about this post, and then sort of spark your interest and get you to go there and check it out for yourself. Just, uh, I don't know, sort of a way to reciprocate content kind of a thing. But the first piece of featured content this week comes from Tom over at Fill Your Hands. And if you've listened to past episodes, you know that it doesn't take much to get me all excited if if, there's, uh, if it involves USPSA shooting and, and sort of a match debriefing of sorts. And in this case, Tom goes over a match report from the Ch- Cherokee Gun Club USPSA match uh, from earlier this month in June. And <clears throat> excuse me, he breaks down the seven stages of the match, discussing how he shot them, how other people were shooting the stages, <laughs> how he felt as though people could shoot them better, uh you know the 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 sort of trick to the stage if there is one <clears throat> excuse me and uh like in past write-ups with Tom there is some video associated with these matches and you know he, the guy makes me jealous he he's got big names that come out to the uh the matches in his area so for instance during the match, he had a little bit of a break, so he walked to the next pistol pit and was just able to get some video of Dave Savigny shooting a stage. And, you know, I, I'm i really jealous of that. I wish that I had the opportunity to record some of the big names at my small clubs so that I could then take that video and then compare side to side. Okay, how did the how did the master or grandmaster shoot the stage versus how a lowly c-class shooter shot the stage? You know, where can I find you know, where are the places where I can save time in, in the future, you know, what is he doing that I'm not doing, or what am I doing that he's not doing, or she's not doing, well, you know, whatever the case may be. And I just, I love this this kind of stuff. It's not beneficial to just USPSA, USPSA shooters. I think it that if you enjoy any any sort of pistol shooting, Basically, all of these articles boil down to the same thing it's It's working the fundamentals quickly um, in u s p s a you just happen to be doing a lot of this stuff while moving or just doing it faster than if you were standing on a s on a firing line at your local range it's It's a game about speed and accuracy i d p a is the same way so so seeing this stuff not only is beneficial to USPSA shooters, I think it's beneficial to anyone shooting a handgun because it it talks about I don't know, more advanced pistol handling skills and I just kind of like that stuff. The second piece of featured content comes from Ron over on When the Balloon Goes Up and this article is entitled Gunproofing Your Kids and it in it includes some video which I thought was fantastic. Now Gun proofing your kids uh, that sounds kind of strange because generally you're, you're not necessarily gun proofing your kids, you're kid proofing your guns. That's how a lot of people view it. However, you know there's a I don't know, there's a sect of gun owners that look at it the other way around where the, where you should prepare your children and educate them on how to handle firearms if and when they ever come across them rather than planning for a situation where your kids should never see a gun. I mean, in an ideal world, all guns would be locked up and children wouldn't be able to get, you know, their grubby little fingers on them. But, you know, it's not a perfect world. It happens. And it's important to educate your children on how to address the situation if it it ever comes up. And uh, a while back, I don't remember what episode it was, but I'm pretty sure that I discussed... um, I don't even want to call it a book... It was like a pamphlet by Masada Yub. It was actually two two books in one. Um, if you held the book one way, it was gunproof your children. If you took the book and turned it 180 degrees, like top to bottom, it then became like the handgun primer. And the whole double book was a total of like 16 or 17 pages. It was ridiculously short. But... Uh, The first portion of that book was "Gunproof Your Children and I I thought it was uh, a great informational guide not only for gun owners who are looking to educate their children, but non-gun owners who want to prepare their children for the event in which they ever run run into a gun or or find themselves in a situation where there's a gun involved. And I think Ron does a a fantastic job of educating his children. And in this video, it looks like he's sitting down at a table and he calls for his children they come they come into the room and he sort of interviews them on the spot about you know what what should they do if they see a gun and uh and he sort of breaks down the situation, asks them a variety of questions, and it sounds as though his kids have it down, you know they have all the answers, and they are safe children uh <clears throat> whether they're at home when, when the gun is presented or if they're out with friends and one of the kids, I don't know, one of their friends goes to show them daddy's gun or something like that, it sounds like they have that situation under control and know how to react to that situation, who to inform, what to do step by step. And, you know, I can only hope that uh, that I can get my daughter as educated as Ron's kids in this situation, and Masada Yub's, I think, daughter, or daughters, in the case of his book, it's just something I find very, very important. And uh, I definitely want to go the route of educating my child, rather than hoping that my child will never find themselves in a situation where a gun becomes visible, or becomes accessible to them or their friends. The third piece of featured content revolves around Texas triggers. This is a a video promo that I came across on a couple of different blogs. Uh, it was on it was on GunNuts Media, and I don't remember. I think it may have been Every Day No Days Off. I I also came across the promo video, and basically, it is. It looks like Colby from Top Shot is capitalizing on the momentum of Top Shot and is hosting sort of like a gun retreat sort of a thing in Texas. And throughout the video promo, it looks like it's it's a way to buy yourself a top shot experience. Sort of like baseball camp or baseball club or I, I don't know. However that works, you know, where you kind of go and, and be a rock star for a weekend or whatever it is with your buddies, uh, in this case, you could buy your way into a top shot experience, and they've got you shooting a lot of the same guns that are on top shot and going through some of the challenges challenges that are on top shot, where, you know, you're going down a zip line, you're shooting this type of gun, you're shooting that type of gun, you're shooting at this type of target, that type of reactive target, and uh, it looks like all fun and good. I mean, I don't know. that. I can't imagine what the what this retreat sort of a thing would cost. But, you know, if you've got money burning a hole in your pocket and you want the Top Shot experience, this looks like the thing to do. Uh, you know, you go down there, you have fun, and, I don't know, you get to hang out with Colby and a bunch of instructors who are said to be world-class instructors on a variety of weapons that they're going to be using, weapon systems that they're going to be using. So, it was just something I thought I would share. I don't know that I've got any listeners that, you know, have the type of money that this would probably cost burning a hole in their pocket but i hey mean if you can afford it have at it tell me all about it but it, it looks like fun i don't know if it's very practical but uh and hey man good good luck to to Kobe and his uh his top shot offshoot superstar camp kind of thing <laughs> For the cigar and drink pairing this episode, I want to kind of keep it short and sweet. Both of these are a repeat. Uh, the, the beverage is just uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I've done it a hundred times before. Not literally. I mean, there's only this is episode 44, so I couldn't have done it a hundred times. But you kind of get where I'm coming from. Uh, the cigar is the Fuente Fuente Opus X, and this is kind of dedicated to John um, He's. I don't know that I know anyone that smokes as many Opus X. As he does, it seems like every time I see something on on Facebook where he's posting a picture of a cigar, or he's he's smoking a cigar in a video, whether he's talking with uh, Bob from Arkansas Shooters or he's doing something else, and and cigars come up, the Opus X is the cigar that he talks about. So I, I was digging through my humidor, and I happen to see one. So I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll pull a John Hadoway, I'll get out a, an Opus X, and, and talk about it, talk a little bit. But uh, this particular cigar is. Uh, it's limited quantities, and it only comes out two times a year. Uh, you can expect to see this cigar around Christmas and around Father's Day, and it's kind of appropriate that it's around Father's Day. I didn't actually buy this uh, recently. I've had this for quite a while. But when, when the Opus X hits the store shelves, envision Christmas time. Uh, the hot new toy comes out. Parents are are flooding the the WalMarts in your area, and fistfights are breaking out over the limited stock of the new Tickle Me Elmo doll or something. I I don't know what the hot new toy is. I've got a two year old; she's happy with boxes that the toys come in. But at any rate, the Opus X is pretty much the same way. You know, you have to sell X number of Fuente product in order to be given an allotment of Opus X you get a small allotment to begin with. Generally there's a sticker on the box that the retailer puts on there that says limit one or limit two per customer. Uh, They generally run anywhere from probably thirteen dollars to eighteen dollars depending on where you're buying them. This is the larger size, it's probably closer to eighteen dollars. But they're a wonderful cigar. They're big, bold, powerful cigars. Lots of power, lots of power. Uh, This is definitely not something you want to smoke Early on in the day, I made that mistake when my daughter was born. The day after she was born, I came home to uh, to let my dog out and, and sort of get the house straightened up while my my wife and daughter were resting. And I hadn't had that celebratory cigar yet, so I decided to break out an Opus X because it's kind of cliche, you know, Opus X. It's awesome. So I get out an Opus X, I light it up at about I don't know six o'clock in the morning, and I was feeling green for quite a while. It's uh. Again, big, bold, powerful cigar. So, not for the faint of heart, not for the, not for a first cigar of the day. It goes great with coffee, but make that an evening cup of coffee or at least a late afternoon cup of coffee. Otherwise, the uh, the X may hit you a little bit harder than you would have hoped. So, there's your cigar and drink pairing for the episode. If you're interested in trying the Opus I I don't know if you're going to be able to get one now. Uh, it's after Father's Day. Opus X are probably dried up by now, usually they come out early enough for people to get them for Father's Day. But uh, I don't know, you might get lucky if you give my preferred retailer a call, which is Mike over at Buckhead Cigars. His phone number is 404-844-0400. You can head over to his website, which is AskTheCigarGuys.com. It is not a retail site, it is just a listing of some of the product that Mike carries, some of the newer stuff, some of the stuff that he's featuring. And you'll see a list of five-pack pricing and box pricing, both of which include shipping charges. So the price you see is the price you pay. Uh, If you kind of want to feel Mike out, get a feel for him and his business, you can chat it up with him on social media. He's on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus as Buckhead Cigar. So again, if you're interested in trying this cigar, or any cigar for that matter, use my preferred retailer. And let them know Walt sent you. That you won't. You'll not only be supporting a a fellow cigar guy, but a fellow gun guy as well. In the discussion topic this episode, I want to talk about something that is sort of USPSA centric. However, I think it can be applied to any shooting, uh, whether it be IDPA or just plinking. And it, it all boils down to something that happened at a at a match this past weekend. Um, uh, as I've mentioned in the past, I'm a member of Team Custom Gun Finishes. Uh, there are four of us that shoot USPSA. Uh, we are we were fortunate enough to find a sponsor that is not interested in our performance. They are interested in you know a couple of guys going out and having fun and promoting the business on a very positive note. Uh, they weren't looking for people that were they were kind of kind of going to ram the business down people's throats and and pull the whole the old hard sell kind of a thing they just wanted guys to to go out in a relaxed environment and just kind of be there if anyone had questions about our equipment and things like that and that has worked out really well for us uh <clears throat> because I am the only one on the team that has a tremendous <laughs> tremendous competitive drive. Uh, I find myself constantly pushing myself. I am really interested in how how high I rank in a given stage or a given course of fire or a given match. And I'm constantly looking at statistics from one match to another to see if my accuracy percentage went up or down or if it's plateaued or or looking at video to see how I can perform better next time around. Uh, some of the other guys are much more relaxed about it. You know, they they want to do well. However, you know, they're not—I don't know—as anal about it as I am. I guess is probably the best way to put it. So anyway, I'm at this match and I step up to the, the I step up to the line. Buzzer goes off. I shoot the stage, and I'm sort of putting my stuff away. And one buddy of mine, Scott. Comes up to me to give me my camcorder back, and he says, Ah, you know, it looked really good. What did you think? And of course, my answer every time he says, Well, you know, how did what do you think? My answer is, I screwed it up, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, it felt slow, this, that, and the other thing. And you know, he always gets that painful look on his face, like, Why are you, you know, why are you beating yourself up so much? You're doing really well. In the back of my mind, I know that I'm progressing, I know that I'm doing fairly well. But you know, in that moment, there's always something that I could be doing better, and having just run through the stage it's- you know it becomes painfully obvious that there are certain parts of my game that need improvement so anyway, you know he says, oh, you know look, it looked like you were shooting really fast or I'm sorry before that comment, I had mentioned that I felt like I was shooting slow, and you know i just couldn't i wasn't working the trigger like I should have been and you know i just felt like i was slow overall and he says well you know that looked really fast to me so i was like okay the 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 match concludes i go home and like usual i pop the the video card into the into my computer and i start watching back the the game film from the match and i get to that stage where i felt like i was going slow and it was painful and everything else and I don't know what I was thinking or, or what was happening, but I went through that stage tr- tremendously fast. I mean, my my shots weren't as good as I would have liked. They never are unless they're all A's. In which ca- in which case I still complain because if I shoot 100% accuracy, it means I wasn't going fast enough. But but at any rate, when I can recall shooting the match and thinking, okay, my my rhythm was off. It felt like I sh- like I engaged these three targets kind of slow my reload was not right it felt like i had hit the i hit the magazine well instead of getting the magazine up inside the gun properly the first time and you know it was the, that little half second of hesitation was there I engaged some other targets another reload this one felt smoother I engaged these targets i transitioned to these targets it felt kind of slow in the transition then i reload again and i'm shooting through a port at these other targets and you know i, I don't feel like i'm working the trigger right You know, all in all, all this stuff kind of... I'm nitpicking all these little things, and it leads me to believe that I didn't do so well on the stage. I watched the video back, and my jaw practically hit the floor. I was shooting so, so much faster and smoother than I was back when I first started recording my own video, back in October. I I actually decided I wanted to pull up the October video, the first match that that I recorded. Um at, at uh, Lower Provenance, and I was comparing the how I shot side to side. Now, the match that I shot in October of last year was at a different club, different style shooting. Uh, there weren't any stages that were identical or even close to what I was shooting this month, but you can still sort of compare and contrast, and I was shooting really slow in October. I was shooting for 100% accuracy. You know, I get the gun out, and I take measured shots, you know, that first shot breaks. I realign the sights, the second shot breaks. My reloads were really low, they were slow. You know, there was no sense of urgency in anything. You know, when I was moving from one target array to another, you know, I was sort of slowly moving about. Now I'm moving much faster, and it's just night and day amazing. And all of this just comes from repetition practicing getting out and doing more and, and doing more and more shooting so even if you're not into into you know sport shooting when i was only plinking you know going to the range at first i started out you know getting out the gun taking slow measured shots on my target making sure i got all my hits but eventually <laughs> i was pushing myself to shoot a little bit faster a little you know how fast can i shoot you know, 17-round magazine in this target and get all torso shots. You know, granted, it wasn't like USPSA fast kind of shooting, but, you know, there was always that push to to shoot a little faster, get the gun out quicker so that my shots were on target. Just all in all, it was a a game of speed and accuracy, even at that stage. And when I transitioned into competitive shooting, uh, things changed quite a bit. But... You know, it's amazing what two matches a month for a couple of months can do. So, when I recorded that match in October, I shot one match in October, and then in November, I think I shot two matches. One match at the same club, one match at Topton, and that ended the season. So, there were three matches, and then a big lapse through the winter season, and then I got back into shooting in late March, early April. So, we're looking at March, April, May, and June two matches a month, and it's amazing what that shooting, what that what that trigger time has done for my skills. It's blistering fast compared to what I was doing before. So do yourself a favor, get out to the range as often as you can. Um, not everyone can afford to hit the range and put two, three, four hundred rounds down range. I can't, that's why I break it up into a couple times a month. So. Do whatever you can do to get out to the range, and keep at it. Uh, Focus on what you're doing. If you have the opportunity to dry fire at home, again, even if you're not into competitive shooting, it's still very beneficial to learn how to get the gun out of your holster and on target, especially if you conceal carry or open carry. Being able to present the gun is very important. And just a little bit of dry fire practice here and there is going to help build your game and make you a more well-rounded shooter. So, this whole discussion topic is sort of revolving around a whole bunch of different stuff that may or may not apply to you. I still think it applies to you even if you think it doesn't. Unless, of course, you shoot like shotgun sports or something. But again, you can still find a way to make it work or make it apply to you. But I just wanted to talk about how amazing my sh- how, how amazing the progression has been since I started shooting more seriously in October versus now. It's just a night and day difference. I, I cannot believe I'm the same shooter. It's amazing. Get out there and shoot as much as you can. Every little bit helps. It is about time to close out the podcast, but before I do, I'm going to thank you for downloading, watching, listening, subscribing to Shooting the Breeze, the formal gun podcast of waltnpa.com. If I've said something that uh, has spurred an interest in contacting me, you can do so in a variety of ways. The easiest way is to head over to my blog, waltnpa.com, click on the contact button, and fill out the associated forms, uh, name, email address, subject, and the body of the email. Click send, it'll fire me off an email. I'll get back to you as quickly as possible. If you'd rather use your own email client, you can send me an email at walt at waltnpa.com. Please feel free to attach uh, audio files or a video file, if you would like that sort of thing included in a future episode of the show. And I will do my best to get back to you, review that footage or audio, and, and get it incorporated into a future episode. I'm also on a variety of social media fronts i'm on twitter as at walt w i'm on facebook and google plus as walt white and my blog has a facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash walt NPA. i'm also on the gun rights radio network forum i have a shooting the breeze section where i post a new topic every time a, a, an episode is released where you can comment on the episode uh, ask questions do whatever you like And uh, speaking of the Gun Rights Radio Network, they are still in need of donations, so if you've got a couple of bucks burning a hole in your pocket, you can uh, donate to the cause, keep the lights and servers running over at the Gun Rights Radio Network. And uh, I think that's going to do it for the episode. So again, thanks for checking out episode 44 of Shooting the Breeze, the formal gun podcast of waltnpa.com. Until next time, take it easy. You can now hear Rights Radio Network while you're on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. On-demand news, talk, and more on your mobile phone. The latest episode is always available for you. No syncing needed and no memory or storage wasted. Available for your iPhone, Android phones, or your Blackberry. Downloading is easy. Go to Stitcher.com or check out your app store. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Rights Radio Network shows can be found under Sources.